Okay, so I'm here with Reverend Dr. Gwinyai Muzurewa, and we're discussing some of the different sectors of the economy and some of the different demographics across Zimbabwe. So we're going to start it straight off with the questions. Um, first question is, what do you believe to be the needs of the working class? Zimbabwe's working class uh, constitutes actually majority. Uh, unfortunately, right now, the working class is just a traditional name because there are no jobs. So the working class has been redefined in Zimbabwe to mean uh, informal sector, people who are working on their own people who are self-employed, not because they chose to, but because of the circumstances. Uh, but still to, um, so to talk about their needs, we, we look at, they should have uh, uh, capital, for example, to get together materials they need in order to do what they have to do. But then there's no cash. There are no financial institutions to loan them money. And if the institutions were willing to loan money, the working class uh, doesn't seem to have the, um, uh, the collateral that would be required. So it's really a vicious cycle. What's going on really is that the working class is just a group, just a sector that is struggling to survive. That has to be now the new definition of uh, working class. Because traditionally working class are people who just go to work regularly, are employed and uh, so on, and they live a predictable life. They know what they're supposed to do Monday to Friday and so on. But in this case, people don't even acknowledge public holidays because they they have to do what they have to do. Uh, where they have to make the buck is where they go. If the holidays are the best times to sell stuff, they'll ignore the holiday and do the sales, and vice versa. So the working class is really kind of a, a new phenomenon in Zimbabwe. Oh, okay. um, <clears throat> how will a stable and valuable currency directly affect the young and growing family? With a stable currency uh, in Zimbabwe, a working class family would know, would budget, for example, they, they would say, you know, for the month of February, uh, I need uh, $400, for example. But in a, with a currency that is unstable, they may budget $400 for February, but come uh, March or April, the figure might have changed from 400 to, to 600 because the currency is not stable. Now, if we had a stable currency, you can see that uh, the working class, the, the, the um, uh, growing families would predict uh, and prepare uh, enough money to, to feed the families. So it's a little bit frustrating to know that you cannot budget uh, with any accuracy because the uh, money itself, the currency itself, is unpredictable. Sometimes you budget in uh, RTGS, and then sometimes you budget in Rand, sometimes you budget in US dollar. 
in the meantime, you don't know how much you are going to spend to buy the currency that you want to buy to use, and so it's it's a, it's a it's a hodgepodge. Um, so we believe that the U uh, the UANC government would um, uh, work to establish a single currency that people can work with, uh, and of course uh, it will be the currency that we know can be used to trade and uh, with other countries and can be used to trade locally and so forth and people know what they have. How will the UINC minister to the needy in our society, namely the elderly, the vulnerable and the maimed? The UANC is concerned about the quality of life in Zimbabwe. When we see how the elderly and the maimed and the disabled, mentally challenged people are living, we really feel that there's room for, for improvement in their social life. For example, just because a person is not able to walk doesn't mean they should spend the, the rest of their life indoors. There should be facilities to take them out of, uh, out of the house and uh, like wheelchairs for example uh they should we should we would supply uh, um people like that with with wheelchairs some might need the crutches but but people must be uh flexible to you know go outside come inside and go visit friends for example or go to to watch a game a, a soccer game and so forth now this these things can only happen if uh uh uh, the handicapped people uh, or people with handicapping conditions are provided with uh, with the necessary uh, accessories. So we are uh, we consider building facilities uh, for their recreation. We we uh, we consider uh, sponsoring organizations that would uh, create uh, activities and events that will entertain uh, these people in this category. And we, we intend at the end of the day to make these people feel that life is worth living. To do that, that's a ministry right there. Whatever we do to make them feel good, uh, take, whatever we do to make them take away their minds from their, uh, their suffering uh, aspects of life, from their handicapping situations and so forth, whatever that is, and whatever it takes is what uh, the UNC government would do for the elderly, the disabled, and, uh, and, uh, and the maimed, and even the mentally challenged. Thank you. Uh, the youth and the school leavers are facing a crucial crossroads in their lives, either continuing education or beginning to look for work. What general advice would you give the de this demographic and what assistance will the UANC government provide them with? To start with, going forward, the youth and the school leavers will feel good uh, to know that they, they, would have, they, would have, uh, they would go to school for free. But since they are now school leavers, that's not that's behind them, uh, but we are saying in considering the young people, we want the young people to be able to go to school, uh, and to do that, they should not be um, 
they should not fail to go to school because the parents cannot pay tuition or school fees. Therefore, that's why we have this other program where we guarantee all young people uh, free education, uh, no exam fees and so forth, so that they stay in school as long as they want to and get the highest uh, uh, level of education they can attain. Now, now when we talk about school leavers, those are people who are done with school, they've done all they want to do in school and now they're out there and as you said correctly, they, they, they are really an asset to, to the nation because they have the energy to to accept work in, in factories, to accept work in various industries, industrial uh, assets or aspects of, uh, of the community. They, they are, and they are flexible even to move away from their hometown to another town because they, they don't have family ties as such. So um, what we intend to do for the youth and school leavers is to make sure that factories out there, companies out there, are, are functioning and are prepared, are incentivized by when they hire these school leavers. Of course, school leavers come at different levels. Some might have done uh, Form 4 Cambridge, others might have done uh, um, Form 6, and some might have done even college. We consider all these uh, um, good uh, workforce for the country, and so, but one thing that we would insist upon is that um, these young people know that now that they are out of school, they have this responsibility. They have to. They now have the freedom to make decisions of what they want to do with their life. So people may make good decisions, and others may make not as good decisions, and so forth. So what we do is to provide them with counseling, uh, not as in patients or clients, but just as young people, young people need to have a feel of the future so that they kind of adjust their activities and their decisions accordingly. So we will have institutions uh, and arrangements and the programs that uh, provide education or even in the form of games that provide education or, or knowledge uh, of how, how these young people can, can uh, forge their life ahead. Can you define what you mean by the formal business sector? By formal business sector, we traditionally talk about uh, banks and uh, other financial institutions and, uh, and the like. These are institutions that are really traditionally connected with the Reserve Bank, for example. The Reserve Bank is where, where all, all the monies of the country are kept or even manufactured and so forth, even though in Zimbabwe it's a different story because of the nature of our economy. Uh, maybe we'll address that a little bit later, but <clears throat> the uh, formal, insect, uh, formal sectors, by formal sectors, we are referring to these uh, lending institutions that in turn uh, uh, supply loans and finances to the farmers, and to other uh, uh, workers or other business people. Uh, and then the other business people who are really in the, in the category of, uh, of formal sector because uh, they are structured in a traditionally acceptable or predictable way. 
Whereas, of course, the other side is the informal sector, where people just, uh, it's a trial and error type of a thing, uh, and they are not structured in a particular way. Then the, in the informal sector is where you run into people who borrow money from a bank, intending to perform a certain project, but if something else comes up, they will divert the funds to go there, and, and, and then the intended project is not accomplished, and this the new thing that came up was not studied by the bank, and so the bank did not know what was going to happen to their money. All that is informal. But it doesn't mean that informal is, uh, is always a failure. No, it's just that it's not structured the way the formal uh, uh, sector is structured. Uh, in Zimbabwe, a lot of people have been forced into informal sectors because they... Um, informal business because they they may have for example to go to Mozambique to to order uh bales they bring the bales there they sell them and and sometimes on the way from Mozambique to Zimbabwe their goods is confiscated by customs and that there dies the business uh, whereas with the formal sector most of the things are done formally and if i may say legally uh for the most part and so forth However, for Zimbabweans, whether it's formal or informal, people, a lot of people are, are surviving that way. And so we, we really cannot knock each, either one of them down and say, this is not good for us. We will accept whatever uh, is useful for the people. When the UANC government takes over, however, we are going to... to, to uh, make sure that the formal sectors operate formally and the informal sectors operate informally but but still uh, um, still in a way that is predictable so that for the benefit of the of whoever is running the business like the vendors every country that I know very ex uh, very advanced countries still have vendors. I walk through this, the streets of New York and I see people selling hot dogs in the street and people buy and uh, that's informal. Um, you also go down the street and you, you get to, uh, to Wall Street bank, uh, banks and uh, that's, that's formal. So right there, you can see that informal and formal sectors kind of work hand in hand. Do you consider it a bad thing or a good thing that the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe that you've mentioned before competes with commercial banks? The Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe has, has been in a habit of um, competing with the uh, commercial banks uh, and that is very unprofessional. And what I mean is that <clears throat> The commercial banks are supposed to get money from the reserve bank, and then the commercial banks will, will turn around and loan this money to to other to business people, and then that's how the commercial banks make their money, make their business. But when the reserve bank itself is giving loans to individuals and even to government, so what purpose does the commercial bank serve now? That means the Reserve Bank is really usurping, is taking away from the commercial banks what really business that belongs to the commercial banks. Now, the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe is also in a, in a pickle 
in the sense that it is one reserve bank in the world that I know of which does not uh, print its own money that is of any value. Uh, when the reserve bank here prints money, you can be sure that that money isn't worth anything. So for the most part, the reserve bank of Zimbabwe just prints money uh, to kind of um, quieten, for example, the soldiers. When the soldiers wanted the high salaries and the government was not able to pay, what they did was they just printed money. I don't call it fake money, but it is Zimbabwe money. It is legal money, but it doesn't buy anything because then, for example, a soldier is given 500 uh, Zimbabwe dollar. He has to go out, out in the street uh, in the informal sector to buy uh, good money, currency, um, like a US dollar or the rand or something like that. So, so you can see that the Reserve Bank is not serving its purpose at all. Uh, its traditional function is to print good money, is to control inflation. For example, in Zimbabwe, it actually causes inflation. So that's, that's why I say the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe is really unique, not in a good sense. It's unique in a very bad sense. Mm. Uh, speaking of the informal sector, what has been, what have you seen the city council's stance on the informal sector, especially in the central business district? The city council, uh, say in Zimbabwe, I mean in Harare, for example, uh, thinks that its business is to suck money from, from people. For example, you park a car, they, they, uh, of course they want you to pay parking fees, that's, that's fine. But in wherever you are parking that car, if there's a pothole, the city council is not concerned about that. That does not make sense. Okay? Now, when you find some informal traders who are selling uh, maybe drinks, uh, maybe popcorn along the street, this uh, the city council thinks it's their business to chase these people away because these people have not paid a fee to use that space. But that space has been there for over 50 years, has never been improved on, does not look like it's a decent place for anyone to be selling food. So the city council is not concerned about uh, the people's health. They are only concerned about what money they can make from the vendors. So um, um, the city council really needs to be redirected. The UANC government will insist upon a cleanliness in the city and will, see, will insist upon, uh, upon a, a proper arrangement of, of, uh, of whatever vendors are, are going to do in the city. But to do that, this, the city council must first know that it is their responsibility to, to make sure that the city is clean. It is not up to the traders to clean up the city. It is up to the city council because they collect money to maintain the city. Yeah. So in my, opinion, um, in my opinion, the city council in Zimbabwe seems to be blaming uh, the ZANU-PF government for failing to do what the city council is supposed to do. I think there's a serious discrepancy right there. The city council collects rates from people and then they don't use these rates to serve the communities that are paying these rates. 
So where does the money go? In my opinion, the money goes in thin air. It's a very diplomatic way of saying that. How will the UNC handle the civil servants crisis in Zimbabwe? The civil service crisis that we see in this country is something that is man-made. Obviously, it's human beings involved. But what I mean by man-made is that uh, the government, which is the major employer in Zimbabwe, has not taken the interests of the workers into consideration at all because the government realizes that a lot of people in Zimbabwe, people who are not employed by the government, are paid by their respective companies and employers in U.S. dollar. But the government pays its people in, in the RTGS, in the money that the people have to turn around and go out the street to buy the U.S. dollar. So even when uh, the Minister of Finance says we have uh, given this, the, the civil servants 100% increase, that is nonsense because if you have, if zero times zero is zero, 100% of one is, does, of one bad thing does not, does not make any sense to anybody. It's not useful. So the, 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 uh, announcement that the government is giving raises to uh, to the civil servants for me is just a joke in fact it's an insult on the people who are told now you should be happy now you should not go on strike because we have given you a raise it's a raise of nothing it's a heap of nothing uh, for lack of a better word so the UANC will will uh, calculate salaries uh, that, that are useful for, for the civil servants. By that I mean salaries that make sense, Sal salaries that people can use to support their families, salaries that are adequate to, for these people to send their children to school, salaries that, that, that is really good money. Uh, there's no sense in, in giving people uh, uh, money that is worthless and say, go with the numbers. Numbers numbers isn't money. Money is something else. Okay, on to um, the police department and the prison services are, are very important parts of any country. Um, how will you look after the men and women that serve in these positions, and what reforms will you make to their current conditions? Um, the police and the prison services officials are a very important sector, as you, as you pointed out, Kozai. Um, so one, the first thing that the government, the, the UANC government will do is to set a salary that is commensurate with, uh, with, uh, with these positions, with these offices. Uh, we also know that the police are supposed to be the, they are supposed to um, enforce the rule of law. But if we put them in a predicament, if we put them in a situation where they have to try to find ways to make money outside their employment, we are really forcing them into corruption. Now, you can see the rest of the story. If the, if the police are corrupt, then, then, then there's no rule of law in the country. So what the UNC will do is to... to uh, to um, 
pay this, the police and all these other people in that category good salaries to give them uh, uh, vehicles. It's, it's a shame to see a policeman carrying a docket, a, a docket on their way to, to Mfakose or to Highfields to deliver a docket to somebody there. Then they're on a combi. What happens if someone will just grab the docket and run away with it? It's so unprofessional. So the UNC government will make sure that the police is well equipped. They have vehicles and they have, uh, of course, a distinct uniform and they are proud of their job and they are respected by the people. So the police should really occupy a significant uh, position in community because uh, they are the uh, enforcers of the rule of law in the country. They are the ones who really uh, are responsible for order in the country. If you don't treat those people well, what are you expecting? You are expecting chaos. You are expecting crime. You are expecting any number of negative things. And the UANC is very uh, aware or very concerned that uh, that people in public uh, positions, public offices like that should be respected and they will in turn of course respect the, the ordinary people that they serve because respect is always a mutual thing. Okay. <clears throat> Do you think we'll be seeing more policemen at night? Well, <clears throat> if the if the city council does not light the streets crime is going to increase. And not that that will then keep the policemen busy because with, once the policemen func uh, serve or whatever function in the dark, they are going to do what belongs to darkness. So the answer really is that, um, that the city council should light up all the city streets and when the city is bright, which is, which is what the city is about. It's not like a rural, dark, dingy area. The city is supposed to be a clean area, uh, lit up at night, and of course by day it is always day. And, uh, and so the police will do their work in a very effective way because one, they become visible. Once they are visible, that reduces uh, uh, tendency towards crime among uh, people who, who could or who would uh, commit crime. Um, I don't think I answered your question in full. No, no. What was the last part? We can get, we can get. Yeah, let's, let's go over that. Last okay, part. so the, my, my question is, it just seems as though the police would be more <coughs> useful or the police could be more useful if they're around at night. But it seems that the police are around during the daytime to collect fines on the roads. And then at night when somebody might actually have an emergency there's no policeman around. You have to go to the, um, you know, to the police station to go get a policeman and then bring them back to the scene of the crime, and 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 that. Um, so what I'm saying is, will there be more policemen available at night versus just during the daytime when the weather is nice? Right. Uh, I think that yeah, I appreciate the question because it's very uh, it's very important. Because at night, most people who commit crime tend to do that one at night, and especially when it is dark. It's not always dark at night, but especially when it's dark. Mm. And so, or when it's raining, by the way. The last time I was robbed in, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, it was in the middle of the day, but it was raining. 
So the, the, the thieves really calculated my movement. They saw me going out. They said, he's going out and it's raining. He's not going to come back. So they, they entered my, my apartment and robbed. So I'm trying to say that if policemen are equipped with vehicles, for example, they are free to travel. They are free and safe to travel by night and by day. And also if the police are equipped with the vehicles and all the equipment that they need, I'm not talking of a gun. I'm talking of just their their mobility, okay? Then they are able to uh, to be where they should be uh, whenever they are called to be there. As you said, if uh, if there's a crime someplace, all I have to do is to call the police and they drive, they come there rather than for me to go to the police station and uh, especially at night, I'm also, if I do that, I'm subject to even more more assault or more attacks by other other people. So the police should be up and about 24-7. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the weather. Regardless of the weather, of course. Yeah. Okay, uh, what do you believe the role of the uh, National Defense Forces to be in Zim? And what reforms, if any, would you make to that role? The role of the um, Defense Forces is, is precisely that, to defend the country, not to defend a political party, not to victimize a political party just because it is on the opposition. I think that is very unfortunate, and, uh, and we understand that in Zimbabwe for the past decades, the, the defense force has served more to protect the ruling party than the rest of the country. That is a, a serious uh, mistake. So the one of the reforms that has to be made is that um, is that uh, the police be I mean the defense force be divorced from political activities because theirs is to protect the country from outside invasion. Theirs is not to to mingle and and to mingle with with the citizens. And, and, and harass them on the basis of which party they support, which party they belong to, and so forth. That is a, a serious mistake. I understand where that came from. The majority of the people in the, in the, in the, in the defense force were politicized out there, and they, they, they were made to belong to a political party. But once they become the national army, they should be reoriented to know that theirs is to defend Zimbabwe as a country, this, this, uh, to defend Zimbabwe as a nation against outside invasion, not to be, uh, not to be harassing or not to be used by the ruling party to suppress other political parties. That is a, a sad mistake. Now, the, one of the reforms is, as I said, uh, is to um, to depoliticize the uh, the the military uh the policemen i mean the, the defense force should not be partisan they they should um, regard every citizen as as one that is to be protected by them uh every political party is to be protected by them the whole nation is to be protected by them and that is their role we will insist on that as a, as a, the alternative government because we know that it's good for the people. Um, what conditions could be put in place or should be put in place to to help out the the um, the plight of the school teacher 
and the school staff member, maybe such that it's more um, the idea of staying as a, or remaining as a teacher or remaining as a staff member becomes more attractive. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's a, a very good question because traditionally in Zimbabwe, and I think in other countries, you know, especially in the, um, especially in the uh, anglophone uh, world, many countries, including Zimbabwe, believe that one of the most stable uh, professions is teaching. Uh, they also know that one of the most stable professions is uh, is the police. And, uh, and, and being a nurse. So, but in Zimbabwe, what has happened is that um, uh, the salaries are so bad that people are having to leave the country to look for what they call greener pastures. Really, it's not greener pastures. It's because just pastures. <laughs> it's just pastures. Even if it's withering, it's better to get something to eat than to get nothing. So, what the UNC government will do is to make sure that that uh, the, the um, position of teachers is a secure position, it's a respectable position, it's a tenurable position, which once you get your training, you serve until you retire or until you have other ideas. But teaching should be a very stable uh, uh, career in Zimbabwe, so is uh, is nursing, so is medicine in general, because these are these are conditions that uh, most countries uh, have, and they rely on these uh, services. Zimbabwe is funny because the government fails to realize that the teachers are the ones who are educating the whole nation. They fail to realize. Government seems to fail to realize that. Uh, Nurses and doctors are the ones who keep, who try to keep the whole country healthy. How can you marginalize such professions and still pretend to be a government for the people? It does not make any sense. So the UANC is cognizant of the fact that the teaching, uh, education, and medicine are very critical uh, professions. They must be protected. They must be promoted. They must be uh, well-equipped. They must be supported in every way. Okay. Um, You spoke of of, um, the nurses and the doctors. So speaking specifically to them, how will the UNC government keep Zimbabwe's doctors and nurses and other medically trained staff um, in Zimbabwe? Right. In Zimbabwe, the whole story boils down to civil servants must be paid uh, good wages. Because civil servants actually form most of the what they call middle class. Okay. If the middle class is middle class is middle class because they re, they live relatively well. They cannot live relatively well if they don't get paid well. <laughs> it makes sense. Right. Uh, and so um, the government should pay good salaries to these people. Once they pay good salaries to the civil servants, <clears throat> i.e., doctors and nurses. Uh, and teachers, then these people are going to be stable in their jobs. More importantly, they're going to, they already already have a passion for these things. All they need is some food to eat so they can work, uh, they can be healthy themselves. So the UANC government will will, 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 um, calculate good salaries, uh, uh, salaries that are uh, equitable, 
and the salaries that um, that make the, the civil servants feel that their careers are, are worth with the service. How realistic is it to expect chiefs to be apolitical, as in not serving a political party? Yes, that's a, that's a very important question for us in Zimbabwe. It's been for, for many years. To start with, the Constitution makes it clear that the chiefs uh, should be apolitical. Just like uh, soldiers, just like uh, teachers, they should be apolitical. The reason is that the chief, for example, is an overseer of, of a whole village or a whole community which consists of people who belong to various political parties. So once a, once a chief becomes, for example, an MDC man, that means naturally he's not going to see eye to eye with, he's going to have a certain way of looking at people who belong to other parties who are in his community. So the best way for chiefs, and since chiefs are not themselves elected, they've been appointed, they, they, they inherited this from their forefathers, and their forefathers got it from their forefathers. It is an inherited position. They should have no business politicking. However, in Zimbabwe, we have seen chiefs being used by government to actually drive people to the polls that is a, a, a gross, a glaring uh, misuse of the office of the chief. The chief is a people's person. The chief is always in power. He's not interested in one political power over another. He's interested in the welfare of all the people. And so uh, it's realistic to expect the chiefs to be apolitical. I think that's actually the best thing. It, is, uh, it, is, uh, it does not make sense. It is a contradiction of terms that a chief uh, take a political party, a political side, when he himself is in a political position in the sense of uh, he's the administrator, he's the chief, he's in charge of everybody. How can he begin to, to, um, to separate this party from that party and, and, and still be neutral? He cannot be neutral. He, he'll be, you know, he cannot be uh, neutral. So police are uh, chiefs are supposed to keep their lane straight. They are uh, the custodian of the community. They are the custodians of the land. They are the guardians of, uh, of, uh, of our customs and traditions. They have a very special position that they need to take care of, not to be involved in politics. Um, just to be clear, when you said um, that the chiefs will drive their their the people within their chiefdom to the polls you don't mean you mean for for that particular party you mean it's, it's not just you know go exercise your right to vote you're saying that um people in politics uh, political parties will tell chiefs to go and vote a certain way right yeah yes that is why that why that is not right that uh, for example the ruling party would influence would tell the chiefs actually dictate to the chiefs to tell people to go vote a certain way okay. uh and that is what's wrong there's nothing wrong in the chiefs encouraging people to go and vote any way they want there's nothing wrong with that but there's, there's everything wrong when the chief is told by the ruling party to drive people and force people to vote a certain way. That's wrong. How will the UANC ensure that Zimbabwe can feed itself? 
The Zimbabwe has been known as the breadbasket of Southern Africa. That is to say, we used to grow maize, we used to grow uh, beans and all these things, and actually enough for home consumption and export. But things have turned around over the past decades. Now, every year, there's food insecurity. Every year, we find our government having to import even maize, a very basic uh, uh, cash crop, I mean, a very basic uh, crop that uh, any Zimbabwean can grow. But So the UANC government is going to make sure that they support the farmers in such a way that the farmers will be productive and will will make Zimbabwe will, will um, make Zimbabwe great again, as they say, by by way of um, producing enough maize, enough uh, soya bean, enough wheat, enough cotton, enough whatever we grow vegetables and enough beef and so on, so that we don't have to look outside the Zimbabwe for um, for food. Don't you think it's a shame? This is, of course, a rhetorical question. It is a shame that we import even cabbage from South Africa, cabbage from Botswana. It is a shame. When we have this good climate in Zimbabwe, when we have uh, this good weather, when we have uh, good soil in Zimbabwe, when the sun shines without fail from sunrise to sunset, it, it, but we still have to import. That means something is wrong. The farmers are not being adequately supported by government. We've been told that uh, the ways, the reason Zimbabwe was a breadbasket for Southern Africa is not because the farmers were that wonderful, but government was so good, it took care, good care of the farmers. It made sure that this, the farmers were supported with what they needed in order to grow food for the country. We, the UANC, is committed to assisting the farmers so that the farmers may do their they are farm work without any any problems. For example, there's one thing that I'm going to tell the farmers uh, over and over that it is a, it is a, it is a shame. It is said that after the farmer has grown tobacco in for ten months, eleven months, when he tries to sell that tobacco, the government still comes and levies and the charges levy on every leaf that the farmer grows. Rather, the government should be charging levy on the people who buy tobacco and export it. Those are the people who should pay the levy, not the farmer who grew the tobacco. I find that to be to be a serious uh, uh, exploitative uh, uh, measure that the government is taking, almost to discourage the farmer from farming. And that's how we end up uh, importing food food items, even cabbage and, and a chicken, like I mentioned earlier. Okay, so, so what services does the UANC intend <coughs> to give to the rural communities? So the UANC government intends to encourage uh, financial institutions to uh, consider loaning money to farmers if they need it, Loaning money for fertilizers, loaning money for um, uh, for seed, loaning money for imp 
implements like tractors and whatever they need to do their farm work. They, the, the institutions, uh, the lending institutions should be sympathetic, should be empathetic with the farmers and do so. If they don't, the government itself should have arrangements to, uh, uh, um, to support the farmer so that the farmer does his best, does her best to, to produce enough for the nation. The UNC will make sure that farmers who produce more are incentivized and uh, by way of uh, by, by various ways and uh, government can always do those things. Find ways to incentivize farmers who produce uh, a lot of maize, for example, farmers who produce a lot of tobacco, farmers who produce a lot of uh, uh, soya bean, for example, or a lot of cattle and so forth. The, the farmer must be encouraged. Traditionally, farmers were known as rich people. To be a farm owner, you, you are rich. And uh, But today, uh, farm owners are really living from hand to mouth. And that's why the nation is also living from hand to mouth. <laughs> what policies or provisions, uh, especially in urban areas, if any, demonstrates the support of religions other than Christianity in the UANC government? First of all, I don't know why you are, uh, you are singling out Christianity, uh, but I think that uh, uh, the UANC government... Well, it's in the title. It says Reverend Doctor, so we kind of... <laughs> okay. Um, in, in, in Zimbabwe, the UANC government will, will uh, legislate that... Uh, uh, when a religious body w has found a place to build a church or a temple or a synagogue in the urban area, they should not have to pay. They should get that land free. The government will grant them that land. Uh, and the reason we do that is because we believe that religious institutions play a very unique role of... Uh, of um, teaching morality to society. Uh, religion, religious bodies are the only organizations, uh, in addition to families, that the only organizations that are committed to, uh, uh, to teaching morality and, uh, and so forth. Other institutions are out there to, to make a living. They are out there to make a profit. But the religious institutions are really kind of different in that way. This is why we say well, this is why the UANC government would say, since these institutions uh, help to build a, a society, to build a peaceful, united, caring society, let's at least the least we can give them is a free land to build their inst their churches or synagogues or temples and so forth. Even the Masoe people, if they find a place within this in the urban area where they want to, to congregate for prayers uh, regularly, they should also not have to pay anything uh, because for the same reasons. Now, however, if, if a, an, a, a religious organization uses this facility during the week, say Monday to Friday, as a school which makes profit, and then on Saturday, Sunday, they use it as a, a, a place for prayers and so on. So the government will consider prorated taxation because obviously if they are making a profit, 
it's a, it's a fair that they contributed to um, to the national revenue. There there are some uh, church leaders who who have been known to I mean who are who are very who are living very very wealthy lives. Um, you know, they 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 are well above middle and some even above upper class. If there's such a thing as above upper class, these people are there. And um, it seems that it, it it could happen hypothetically, of course, that such people would take advantage of this quote unquote free land, and um, in in order to increase maybe their own agendas and not increase the agendas of the deity that they that they believe in. How how would you uh, mitigate that? That is very true, and that is very possible. And I, my response would be that uh, if uh, those kind of people, and we know them in Zimbabwe, people are like that. If they do that, um, um, there's no way we can change the principle of a free land for religious institutions. But as I said, if they begin to make profit of the property, then we will uh, prorate, we will take, we'll, uh, institute taxation, which is uh, uh, prorated. Um, having said that, um, we assume that religious bodies, first and foremost, are serving the needy of the land. They are not there just to serve themselves. Uh, those big, those uh, people who have made so much money in the name of being a prophet or a bishop, we know that it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing because they get that money from their congregants. Their congregants are told, if you want to be rich like me, do what I have done. I have given $25 every Sunday, and this is where I am. So people try to do that, emulating their leaders. Oftentimes, of course, they are misled. They are actually duped that way. But we cannot go there. As a, as a government, we don't want really to meddle with uh, religious institutions unless they are doing some things that are that are against human rights and so forth, then we'll, we'll be involved. Otherwise, whatever their doctrine is, however crooked their doctrine is, uh, we should stay away from that. Uh, and it's up to the congregants to decide uh, whether to go along with their leadership or not. How does the UANC plan to keep politics out of institutions of higher learning? Or is that possible? The UANC government would like to make all institutions of higher learning exactly that, institutions of higher learning, by encouraging and supporting uh, technological research, by supporting scientific research in various ways. To do that, People appointed to such institutions should be open-minded individuals. We do not want these institutions, for example, in Zimbabwe now we have about 13 universities, state universities. If all these universities are run by people who belong to the ruling party, that becomes unfortunate because the ruling party does not happen to have the most brilliant minds in the country. They are average people. So if uh, the UNC government would would just open these institutions to be run 
by whoever is academically qualified to run the institution. That's why we say institutions of higher learning should stay away from politics. They should focus on the research, and the research is not necessarily to be a political agenda. Sometimes it can turn out to be that. I feel that is very sad when I see the head of state. For example, the former uh, president of Zimbabwe would go to the UZ and, and, and hit every graduate with a cap with a cap of knowledge, not caring where they are going after that. Those students who are hit, who are hit by the former president with a cap of knowledge on their head did not have any jobs to go to. But the president is saying, I have put my, I, I, have, uh, I have blessed you to go into the world. So I'm saying all this to say that that was just a political gimmick to show authority. In the UANC government, we will just say any, any academic who is competent and qualified to lead an institution, uh, regardless of what political party they belong to, can do so. And of course, like every good institution, there must be a way to evaluate effectiveness of leadership. That will be done regularly. And so, um, but we refuse promotion that is based on, on, uh, on a patronage. We refuse uh, promotion and even appointment to positions uh, of power and authority based on your political affiliation. That is not the intent of a university. University is a place of learning for everybody. Um, so aside from politics, how does the UANC intend to improve the conditions in institutions of higher learning? Right. So the, the UANC will support these institutions by way of making sure that, one, they get good quality professors. But more importantly, and also importantly, is the fact that um, the UANC will make sure that uh, every university campus has adequate uh, living quarters for the students. I believe, as a former professor myself, I believe that, that um, for a student to study effectively, they should live in an environment that is conducive to study. The library is not enough. Library has limited hours, but even the uh, the um, the apartments where the students live should be such that a student is always motivated to study, to read, or to discuss matters with other students. Everything, anything that stimulates thinking and reflection and so forth should 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 happen in the university. To do that, the university campuses must be um, must be built in such a way that students feel comfortable happy and and uh, and so forth also even the uh, the type of food that the students eat should be calculated to uh, enhance uh, academic stimulation if there's such a thing um, and so um, the U the UANC government is just going to transform all these university campuses to make sure that the number of students in any particular class is uh, suitable and, 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 and that the professors, the professor to student ratio is, is useful, is conducive to learning and so forth. Science students, for example, you don't want to fill a class with the science students. When they go to the lab, 
they must have one-on-one -on -one time with a professor or with some uh, assistant and so on. So all that means building the university campus such that um, that such that the students have a, have a good academic atmosphere within which to study. Okay. Um, outside of the universities, um, low density and high, de high density suburbs, um, a lot of times they're seen as two different places or two completely different um, arenas, but they do have some common needs. Um, what do you feel those common needs are and how does UANC plan to address those needs? The UANC government <clears throat> understands that um, when Harare, for example, was designed, those who designed it uh, maybe 40, 50 years ago had the foresight of a possible expansion. And the problem now is that the present government is not catching that vision, and so they are expecting the population in Harare to fit in the little Salisbury that was there before. That is very short-sightedness on the part of the current government. So the UANC would make sure that streets that are known to be to have a high volume of traffic, uh, either you have uh, four lanes, two going out, two going in, or they have uh, certain structures. If you want to put, for example, uh, a, a small train, you can have a train that, that flies over all the buildings and goes from, uh, from, for example, from CBD to Chitungwiza, CBD to Highfield, CBD to, uh, to Headcliffe and so forth. Now, when you do that, you, you are creating an atmosphere of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, um, of technology, an atmosphere that shows thinking and vision on, be on behalf of, uh, on the part of, uh, of government. But most importantly, there's no frustration among the city dwellers. Now, there are some things that should be true of every community. Whether it's low density or high density, there should be definite ways of cleaning uh, trash. There's no city, whether it's low density or high density, there's no community that say, oh, we are high density, we can live with dirt. But in Harare, what you see is that uh, uh, whether you are in Glenview or you are in Mount Pleasant, there's always dirt. What is the council doing? What is the city doing about that? And so forth. Actually, of late, I'm glad you asked this, of late I've heard that there was a plan to dump uh, trash in Avondale and the city would pay $24,000 a day, for example, or per week. But just a ridiculous dumping stuff within the city of Harare and you pay so much. That's because... Um, Government is not thinking in terms of how to handle the city life, how to handle city conditions. There should be regular collection of refuse. There should be regular supply of water, running water into every home. Because the difference between city life and country life is the tap water, man. It's the tap water, you know. So uh, uh, in Harare, like in Borodil, where I live, I still have to buy water, carry it on my head to, to bring it inside. That's ridiculous. On top of that, I still have to pay rates. What is that for? Okay, that's my own personal note. But high density, 
should be should also have uh, like i said street light the the streets must be good no potholes because people in high density also have cars and uh, those cars are tired of being uh, of running into potholes every now and then so in terms of uniformity between high density and low density what you see on a negative side is on both ends there are potholes what should the UNC do to make sure that those streets are, are, are paved properly and lit up properly and so forth? And also, just the uh, public, trans uh, public transport service should be, should be regular. Uh, there was a time when from high fuse to, to, to CBD, you know that in 20 minutes you'll be in CBD. You know that in 20 minutes you'll be back in high fuse. These days, you calculate at least four hours to get back to to uh, to uh, to high fields from. In, not to mention Chitungwiza, it will be like four hours. So what is that? That's a waste of city people's time. The UANC would make sure that transportation system is orchestrated in such a way that it makes a difference between being in the jungle and being in the city. One of the things that is has become almost a habit. In both uh, urban, uh, in in both uh, rural, uh, low density and high density areas, is this business of of uh, of shading light, uh, shading zesa power. It's again because the city or the government has failed to visualize the demand for power in the city, the demand for power in the country. It's a shame that up to this time Zimbabwe is still importing power from Mozambique from from Zambia, from South Africa, when we have when sunshine. we have the sunshine every day, it rises. I tell you, without fail, it rises in the morning and it sets at night. Oh, these twelve hours are the sun is saying, "Take me, take me," and we don't do that. So the UANC government has a clear plan to light up the city because and to to, to make this to make power very accessible, very affordable because all the essentials are there. What is lacking is, is, is visionary leadership, which the UNC is going to provide in abundance. I can tell you that because we know what needs to be done. All we need now is an opportunity to do it. Come 2023, it's going to happen. So, so what contribution um, does Zimbabwe intend to make, not just to obviously the country, sorry, what contribution does the UNC lead, like want to lead Zimbabwe in making to not just uh, the SADC region, but also the continent? Thank you very much. And I think that's, that question is, um, uh, is very profound in the sense that uh, good leadership is one that takes care of its own country. But good leadership also knows that no man is an island. We are related to other countries. We are related to, the, to this continent and to other continents. So good visionary leadership uh, knows how to relate to others and also what to contribute to others. Um, so the UANC government intends to build the, the, the biggest uh, pharmaceutical research center in Zimbabwe, so that such that uh, the people from SADC will benefit from it, 
not only that, the people from, uh, from the continent of Africa will benefit from it, not only that, but the people from all over the world will benefit from it. Why do we go to China to be treated? It's because the Chinese have done something that is like that. We can do something in Zimbabwe that will force, not force, but that will make the people from China, the people from America, the people from Europe to come to Zimbabwe because that's the only place where they can find the help that they need. And you know that um, Africa is blessed with the with the great uh, diversity of, of herbs that are medicinal. And so why don't we use it? It's just like the sun we mentioned earlier. Why don't we use these herbs in Africa, in Zimbabwe, to create medicines that, uh, that could be used the world over? Some people, some superstitious people tell us that there are some, some people in Zimbabwe who know even how to treat cancer. But it's such a secret thing, and we don't even explore it to see whether it's true or not. There's, there's so many things that uh, Zimbabwe can do. But I have decided that, uh, that uh, one thing that we can do as a nation is to build this big pharmaceutical research center that will supply the whole world with, uh, with, uh, first with the knowledge and then with, with the medicines that the world might need. You know, on a side note, and this may be my last comment on this, that I was shocked to read that um, every year Africa loses 1.6 billion people to death. People die of treatable diseases in Africa. 1.6 billion people die every year because we are not able to take care of our own. I'm telling you, things have to change. So Zimbabwe is going to make a contribution by way of uh, medicinal uh, materials to the whole world. Well, you're talking about the merger kind of of the science and the superstition. Is that correct? Like, for example, somebody might say, if you eat this certain bean, you'll be filled with a spirit of energy or excitement. It could just happen that that's a coffee bean. So are you saying that we're going to start looking for the science inside the superstition? I'm saying that, uh, that um, there are herbs in Zimbabwe which are truly medicinal, but they have not been analyzed scientifically because we neglect the science. We spend all the time doing other things. Uh, so if we took science seriously, we would, uh, scientists, our scientists would examine these bushes and actually come up with, uh, with, uh, with medicines that the world would need. Just a few months ago, we all heard of, uh, of Zumbani being used now to, to create certain tablets for certain things and so on. But this is Zumbani that we have known for years and years. Nothing was done about it. Nothing professional was done about it and so on. So we are saying that, yeah, if there is a superstition that a certain herb is, is medicinal for such and such, what we need to do since we live in this technological world is to actually test it scientifically and make sure that that is a fact. And of course, the difference usually between uh, these traditional things and the, med and the scientific thing is, is the dosage. Uh, <laughs> A herbalist might say, you chew these leaves until you spit. I mean, you chew these leaves until... They don't give you a measure. Whereas when that, that herb 
has been treated or, or worked on scientifically, you, you, you may be told that uh, you take just one tablet a day and that's enough to, to, to treat the problem. So that's a mixture. It's not a merger as such, but that's kind of a, uh, a cross-pollination of what people know in general or by suspicion and then what people can actually uh, establish scientifically. And then between those two, we get a very good uh, a product that works. Okay. Mm. Okay, well, um, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me. That's all I really have for you today. It uh, is my pleasure to, to have an opportunity to share with you and to share with those who are listening. Uh, but I want to say thank you very much for your very provocative questions that have covered most of what we are about as the UANC government. Is there, is there any, um, are there any places like on social media where people can reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you? Like, are you on um, Twitter? Yes, we are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on our website. So, so we have our website. So please just reach out and you get more from, from me. You get more from the party. You get more really of our vision for Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe has a brilliant future. All we need is brilliant leadership. Thank you.